0: Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast, downloaded over half a million times in over 145 countries, and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. I'm your host, Tim Savage, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jill.
1: Hello, everyone, and the 2020 is just racing away now, isn't it?
0: It is. It is. In today's episode, episode 177, we interview Brendan Rates from Operation Flinders in South Australia. Operation Flinders is an Australian organization that exists to provide young men and women who have been identified at being at risk with demanding outdoor challenges and support. The aim of Operation Flinders is to help participants develop their personal attitudes, self-esteem, motivation, teamwork and responsibility. So that they may grow as valued members of the community. In today's episode, we talked to Brendan Rates about Operation Flinders uh, and the programs that they run. Now, before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, subscribe on your podcast host of choice, so it's available as soon as it's published. And if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way to support us, if you like what we do, is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing the podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. Okay, so Brendan, thank you for taking your time to talk with Australian Hiker.
2: No worries. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, tell us, what's your role with Operation Flinders?
2: Yeah, well, I've been volunteering with uh, Operation Flinders since about 2014 um, as a team leader. So our team leaders are field volunteers that um, actually take our teams of young people out in the field. Um, and I guess more recently I've actually started up in a, a, a paid role at Operation Flinders, so I'm actually doing a bit of HR there as well um, for a couple of days a week, but predominantly, um, yeah, working in the field with the young people.
0: Okay. So you've, you've, you've seen it from both ends. You've seen it from the office. You've seen it from out in the field.
2: Yeah, certainly. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it almost seems easier out in the field. It's, um, everything sort of seems to happen by magic. Um, but yeah, now that I'm in the office, I see yeah the, the huge amount of work that actually goes into getting it all up and running. So it's, yeah, it's it's been eye-opening, that's for sure.
0: Okay, so what is Operation Flinders?
2: Yeah, that's so um, good question. It's essentially, I guess, uh, well, it's an adventure-based um, therapy program now, but it's essentially a a circuit breaker for for young people at risk. Um, we take, yeah, groups groups of young people out into the remote northern Flinders Ranges, um, take them on, yeah, an eight-day um, hike and, yeah, it's it's a chance to, to help them improve their lives, I guess. Um, yeah, we sort of show them different ways to, to think and, yeah, just get them away from their everyday activities that can, yeah, sort of, I guess we all know as, as young people can sort of lead you astray a bit.
0: Okay, and for those not familiar with Australia, Flinders Ranges is central South Australia, is it?
2: Yeah, central South Australia. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, it's as far north as you can go um, in the Flinders Ranges. After that, it's it's pretty much um, getting into the desert. So yeah.
0: All right. Now, just provide a bit of an overview of of Operation Flinders. What is it trying to achieve with its programs?
2: Yeah, um, it's. Yeah, like I said, we're, we're taking you know, what we call young people at risk, which you know, realistically is, is anyone, um, is any young people now. Um, and, yeah, we take them out, um, get them away from everything um, and, yeah, try and give them a chance to, um, yeah, to, to do something different with their lives and, and, and learn and grow.
0: Okay. And, and how did it actually start? How, how and when did it start?
2: Yeah, so actually um, celebrating 30 years this year. So, yeah, it started 30 years ago in 1991 Um, and, yeah, it started by yeah lady um, by the name of Pam Murray-White. She was a a teacher and former army officer. Um, And, yeah, she basically left the army and went and taught um, at a school that had, yeah, students with pretty significant behavioural issues. Um, And I guess, yeah, she saw... That there was a potential there to, to bring some of her army background um, and her love. She spent a lot of time in the Flinders Ranges, so her love at the outdoors, and use those aspects to, to try and, yeah, give something back to those young people and, and get them out of the habits, that some of the destructive habits they were having.
0: And and where did the name come from?
2: Yeah, so it's, like I said, she spent a lot of time in the Flinders, so, yeah, um, that was always going to be where it took place. Um, that was, yeah, she had a huge love of the area. Um, and then, yeah, I guess having that military background, um, you know, we still have a lot of um, ex-defence personnel and, and current defence personnel involved. And, yeah, it's a bit of a nod to that that military history is the, the Operation Flinders name.
0: Tell us about the programs that uh, Operation Flinders offers.
2: Yeah, so we've got our, I guess, our core product, if you want to call it that, um, is the exercises. So we, we run five exercises a year. Um, yeah, in a good year. Last year, yeah, it was a bit different, obviously. Yep. Um, but yeah, um, in a standard year we run five exercises. Um, this year we're kicking off in May and I think the last one's in October this year. Um, so that's sort of the main main thing that we do. Um, but then we also have uh, another program that sits, I guess, alongside that um, that's our PGM program. So, a PGM is a, a peer group mentor. It's someone that's participated in the pro, in the exercise, um, and yeah, they they're able to self nominate to come back, um, you know, be involved with Operation Flinders, um, do some different activities on weekends, and sort of leadership development, um, different training activities, and yeah, it gives them a chance to to do something else. Yeah, So, still be involved.
0: So COVID had a bit of an impact on you last year, did it?
2: It did, yeah. Yeah, we were definitely, for a little bit there, we were definitely not going ahead and then definitely were, then on again, off again. Um, but, yeah, we've got some, some pretty amazing volunteers, um, one of which was able to, to sort of get us over the line with, with SA Health. Um, and, yeah, we managed to, I think it was four exercises we had last year. Um, so, yeah, we were still able to, to put the show on basically.
0: All right now thinking a bit more about the participants what is your target participant and when you say at-risk youth what do you mean by that
2: yeah it's a good question there's yeah um some of our participants aren't too fond i guess of the at-risk label um which is fair enough i think when you're a young person and and you get called at-risk you sort of think what does that mean um and yeah i mean discussions are happening around that but Essentially, I think at-risk youth is is anyone. Um, So any young person um, is is at risk of multiple things. So, um, yeah, we're basically, the schools are the referring agencies. Um, They'll have, you know, a selection of students that they think would really benefit from the program. Um, And they might be going through, you know, challenges at home or at school, um, you know, behavioural issues or, yeah, issues at home, that sort of stuff. Um, and yeah, we get any sort of any age from about thirteen up until about seventeen. Um, yeah, and that's sort of yeah the the target group, I guess, of participants.
0: So, is it is it an even sort of mix of uh, of, of girls and boys, or is it a uh, do you do you run single sex programs? How how does that work?
2: Yeah, it's it's a pretty even mix. Um, schools or the the agencies will sort of tend to choose whether they send an all-boys group or an all-girls group. Um, we do get mixed teams, so we'll take groups of, of boys and girls together. It's, it's not an issue. Um, you generally find after a few days out in the field that everyone stinks and no-one's interested in anything, so <laughs> never had a um, So, yeah, no, but, but um, yeah, we'll, yeah, boys, boys and girls, yeah.
0: Okay, and, and how, many, how many participants do you normally take on uh, each program?
2: Yeah, so we have ideally we aim for ten teams, um, and then in those teams we have about ten participants. Um, any, well, anywhere from maybe five up until ten, ten's the max. Um, so generally, at any one time, we'll have a hundred young people um, out in the field. Um, yeah,
0: that's uh, that sounds like a lot. So, is it just from South Australia, or do you get people from all over the country?
2: Uh, it's it's predominantly South Australian. We do get a couple of teams a year from Northern Territory. Um, and then, yeah, we get some groups from Victoria as well. Um, I'm not sure if they're every year or not, but yeah, for the most part, it's it's South Australian.
0: Yeah. Okay. And and what are you trying to achieve with each participant by the end of the program?
2: Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, I guess it, it's different for for every participant. They're all coming from a different place. Um, yeah, they've all got. We try to get them to set their own goals, um, and then help them you know, make some progress towards those goals. Um so it could be anything from, you know, setting a goal of going to school more often or, you know, cooking a meal at home or anything like that. Um and we just try to give them the I guess the psychological tools to be able to achieve those goals. So we give them the, you know, the resilience um and the and the strength to be able to to move towards those goals that they've set.
0: Uh do you expect the participants to come with any equipment at all or do you pretty much provide everything?
2: Yeah, we pretty much provide everything. Some some participants will, will bring some stuff. Yeah, you know, they might um, do a bit of camping or bushwalking, so they'll bring a bit of stuff with them. Um, but for the most part, it's, yeah, we provide everything. Um, they'll come with boots. Obviously, they want to have their boots pretty well worn in before they get there. Um, but, yeah, packs and, and water bottles and sleeping bags, all that sort of stuff, we, we give them um, basically, yeah, when they get off the bus and get ready to go. So, yeah.
0: So does that does that mean you, uh, as part of the setup, you send them a list and say this is what we, uh, what you need to have, and we can provide everything, but you need this, or um, how does that yeah. work?
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we'll send them a list of sort of suggested items. Um, you know, obviously if it's in winter, we'll give them a list of all the, the cold weather gear they might need. Um, but yeah, we'll. There's generally a lot of interaction between the the volunteers, so the team leader and the assistant team leader um, and the two support staff. So they're generally, you know, if we're talking about a school that's coming, it's generally a couple of teachers from the school. Um, so there'll be interaction between those two to sort of say, look, let the let participants know this is probably what they need to bring. Try not to bring this stuff, you know, phones and all that sort of gear. Um, we try to discourage. Um, so yeah, that's generally the way we go about making sure they've got everything they need.
0: The the teachers or the schools nominate a, a, a batch of people or, 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 or students to come along. Do you – what sort of expectation is there around on people's fitness level? You know, do, they, do you say to them, look, you know, start going and doing some walking practice or can they just pick up and come out and they'll cope with whatever you throw at them?
2: Yeah. Um, it Obviously, in an ideal world, um, we, we'd get them out there early, um, you know, getting ready for the walk. Um, but they've generally got, you know, pretty busy lives, you know, doing whatever teenagers do nowadays um, so often yeah we'll, we'll get kids that have different levels of fitness um, but anyone can do it we, we I've never had anyone that sort of couldn't get around and and finish the walk they will you'll often get them say that there's no way they're gonna be able to finish and take me home and all that sort of stuff um, but, and that's that's part of the process is, is getting to that getting them to that point where they think oh, I can't do this Um and then showing that, yeah, you can actually push through and, and finish it off. So, yeah, that's part of the learning process, I guess.
0: Uh, and I believe in um, talking to some friends of mine that are involved with operational flinders, you get people bringing some some weird and wonderful stuff with them that they expect to be able to use when they go camping?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They think there's um, PowerPoints in the trees and that sort of stuff. They've tried to bring all sorts of stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, whether it's gaming devices or, yeah, hair dryers, straighteners, all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I've seen full makeup kits and, yeah, so I think, like, yeah, it's probably what you need at home, sure, but, um, yeah, like I said earlier, you know, after a few days you're all pretty stinky and covered in dust, so don't need any of that stuff at all.
0: <laughs> and, you know, in, and in relation to that, so I'm, I'm guessing they probably, like most adults these days, they probably all bring their phones. Uh, is there a phone etiquette or a phone protocol on these trips at all?
2: Uh, yes and no. I think it's, without Flinders, there's a there's a bit of a, um, every team leader sort of sets their own rules to a certain extent. Obviously there's, there's mandatory rules, um, when you're working with young people, but, um, things like phones, I, I personally am, am pretty relaxed. Um, I generally find if they've got their phone and they use it, it'll be the batch will be flat by the second day, so it's not a big deal. Yep. Um and other team leaders, they'll yeah, set a pretty firm rule at the start that phones aren't to come out. And it's yeah, it's really up to the, the team leader to make that decision. Um we I I personally I prefer they didn't bring that, it, but it's sort of you're setting yourself off with a, a bit of a challenge to convince them to leave their phone on the bus or whatever. So
0: Yeah. And, and is the good phone signal all out where you go, or is it one of those areas where there's lots of dead spots?
2: Oh, there's nothing. There's absolutely zero reception. Okay. Um, So, yeah, they and that's what they soon realise. They bring their phone and they realise, oh, hang on, I can't do my Snapchat or TikTok videos or whatever out here anyway. So, um, yeah, after a while it ends up in the bottom of the bag and we don't see it again. So,
0: (laughs) All right. So take us through a typical day from start to finish.
2: Sure. Um, So early starts. So, again, team leaders will set their own start times anywhere from – you know, 4.30 to 7 maybe. Um, so we'll get them up. Again, every team leader does it differently. Um, I've, in the past, I've taken a speaker out and used my phone, you know, setting a bad example, I guess, but um, take my phone out and I'll play um, Always Look on the Bright Side of Life, Monty Python, play that in the morning to wake them up. Um, and, yeah, by the end of the trip, they're sort of singing the words and everything, which is yeah, pretty fun to see. Um, but yeah, and yeah, so other team leaders, yeah, pay, play instruments or sing songs, all sorts of stuff. Um, so you yeah, we get them up, they pack up all their gear, um, and generally get everything packed up. They get better as the week goes along. Um, but yeah, it can take them anywhere up to you know, half an hour to an hour sometimes. Um, yeah, so the pack up's all done. They will then come over to the fire, um. I normally, personally, I'll set the fire up and get that going so I can at least have a coffee. Um, I need that to get the day started. Um, yeah, and then go through all the breakfast routine, get everything started, and then we'll brief them sort of on what the day uh, will look like, talk about where we're going, what the terrain will be like, do a bit of a mud map on the ground to sort of talk them through so they have a bit of an idea. Um, and then, yeah, we'll, we'll take off. And for the most part, most days – Um, It's essentially getting from from point A to point B, just, yeah, hiking. um, It's all off track. Um, So, yeah, it's going over some pretty rough terrain. Um, Yeah, and then every day is different um, as to where you're going to go and and what you're going to see, basically, yeah.
0: Uh, and what, what's, what's the what's the go with meals? Is there a uh, um, are, the, are the participants responsible for assisting with everything including cooking or have you got a, a camp cook which happens to be you? How, how, does, how does that work?
2: No, they do everything, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, That's I guess that's part of the, the journey they're on is, is learning to be a bit responsible for themselves. Um, I'll show them on the first night how to set up the kitchen and, and how to cook and everything um, but after that, they're on their own, um, and they've got to sort of work it out. I'll give them a job each day, so you know I'll nominate a couple of people each morning that are the cooks, um, and it's their job to make sure everyone's fed. Um, so yeah, they'll they'll sort out the breakfast, sort out lunch, and sort out the dinner. Yeah.
0: All right, and sleeping um, are they? They're intense.
2: Yeah, so it's it's a pretty basic setup. We've got hutchies, um, so you sort of the, the military style. Um, tarp essentially yep um so yeah they all get one of those um a foam roll mat um they're better now they used to be pretty thin pretty basic um but we've got some decent ones now and then yeah obviously just the the ground cover um to keep all the, the bindies and that sort of stuff away um yeah so it's it's a pretty basic setup but it's enough to to keep them dry most of the time if they set it up properly
0: yep um, and what 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 are the meals? Are you are you using uh, freeze dried and dehydrated food, or are you actually cooking with fresh food each day?
2: Uh, it's mostly it's a bit of a variation. Mostly for dinners, um, it's mostly tin food. Um, so yeah, a whole variety. But it's gone through sort of numerous iterations to get where it is now um, for the actual meal plan. And yeah, it's had I guess nutritionists look at it and say yeah, that's enough energy. Her participants and getting through, that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, it's mostly tin food for dinner, um, anything from, from spaghetti bolognese to there's a Mexican night, um, Irish stew. There's, yeah, it's a few different favourites in there. Um, and then lunches is, is, yeah, pretty basic. Again, it's saladas with, um, yeah, sort of uh, cheese, cheese, I guess you'd call it cheese. It's something like cheese. It basically never goes off.
0: Yep. Um, oh,
2: yeah, Processed yeah, process sort
0: of process plastic cheese, yep.
2: That's the one, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and you find everyone sort of turns their nose up at it the first day, um, but by the end of the week, it's, yeah, you get through everything. Um, everyone's pretty hungry and happy to just eat whatever's presented. Um, yeah.
0: Now, the programs, I think are, they're 11 days long with uh, the, the, the participants sort of being involved, what, seven to eight days, is it? Yeah, so it's
2: yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's about eleven days that we're out there as volunteers, um, and the participants will come in um, anywhere from a Tuesday to a Thursday, and then they're out there. They'll leave the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday following um, the week following. So, um, so so about eight days they're out there.
0: Yeah. So, so you guys get to do a bit of pre-setup and pre-planning, and then cleaning up at the end of it.
2: Yeah, correct. Yeah, so we'll all go up on the Monday um, and. We've got a, a pretty amazing group of volunteers that actually go up um, the weekend before or the so the Friday before we go up, um, and they do a huge amount of work, to get all the campsites set up, make sure we've got water, food, everything's out there, um, all the firewood we need and everything else. Um, and, yeah, so we're, yeah, hugely grateful for the work those guys do to, to get the campsites set up. It makes a, a big difference for us team leaders in the field. Um, and then, yeah, we go up on the Monday and, and get ourselves prepared, um, we sort of look over the, the information that we've got about the participants, so looking at their medical history, that sort of stuff, um, just see if there's any outstanding issues that we need to be aware of. Um, and then, yeah, we'll we'll sort of stagger It's a staggered start. So have a few, couple of teams go out on the Tuesday, a um, couple on the Wednesday and a couple on the Thursday. And then, yeah, if we come back on the Tuesday, the following week, we'll, um, yeah, help with the pack up and, and clean up and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah.
0: So this, from, from what you were saying there, um, you, you're staying at the same campsite, so you're going from campsite to campsite. Uh, does that mean you're, uh, you're, you're talking about tin food? Are you carrying that with you or is it's, it's there at the campsite at the end of the day?
2: Yeah, so it's at the campsite at the end of the day. Um, yeah, it'd be pretty rough to make them carry eight days' worth of tin food. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we've got um, basically what we call yeah a ration tub at each campsite and it's set for, for that team. Um, or tango we call them, so there'll be tango eight um, on the front of a box and that's that's your food for the next 24 hours basically. So um, generally you, you eat your dinner there, um, so that's that's the bulk of it, that gets rid of all the tin food um, and the next day you'll carry um, your lunch basically and sort of snacks, um, so that's what you really have to carry. Uh,
0: and um, how many kilometres are they, they typically covering each day?
2: Uh, it varies. um we try to we do a lot of work before the season starts to try and set the navigation plan up um, so that the routes aren't too long. Um, can be sort of anywhere up to maybe fifteen k's, twenty k's um, at the most, um but generally sort of yeah ten to fifteen is probably what we aim for.
0: nothing nothing overly steep in the hills there, or is it uh, there are, you've got a few steep sections here and there.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's a few steep sections. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, got a couple. Uh, yeah, there's a few different um, sort of significant features on the property, and um, the biggest one is Mount Rose. Um, I think it's yeah, I can't remember the exact number. It's a bit over 700 meters. Um, but yeah, that's a really good climb. And obviously, depending on the way you go up there, um, is yeah, there's an easy way and there's quite a few hard ways.
0: All right. So in relation to the participants' responsibilities, apart from doing cooking and that sort of stuff, are they also responsible for navigation as well?
2: Uh, not responsible for navigation. We'll help them um, where we can and try and teach them a bit. Sometimes, you know, you get young people who just aren't interested in the navigation, which is totally fine. Um, that's essentially what we're there for, is to, to make sure they get around, um, you know, without getting lost. Um, but, yeah, they, they sometimes get involved. And, so, and same with the support staff, so the teachers from the schools... Um, sometimes they will help out with navigation as well if they're interested, but it's not their responsibility. No.
0: And what's the temperature range? I mean, if you're doing five programs a year, they all tend to be in the cooler months, I'm guessing. Uh, and what, and you know, what are the highs and low temperatures you're, you're looking at each day?
2: Yeah, um, we've well, only just this year. We so we used to do them um, sort of starting in March, and they were yeah, they were pretty hot. Um, I've I would normally do the ends the start and the end of the year, uh the exercise that were the exercises I'd do. Um and yeah, you're looking anywhere 40 plus during the day, um which can be pretty challenging. Yeah. Um, so yeah obviously those yeah um those summer months can be pretty tough. Um and even yeah the the summer months tend to go right up um you know to towards the middle of the year it can still be quite warm. Um, but yeah, there's ways around it. We do a lot of walking at night if it's too hot during the day, and we'll just sort of have a bit of a siesta during the day. Um, but yeah, the, the maximum, you're looking at about 40 Celsius plus, And then minimums, yeah, anywhere sort of down to 10 or below overnight, um, depending on the weather. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's always the thing with the, you're, you're all, as you say, you're, you're pretty close to the desert areas, and it's amazing mm. the extremes of the temperatures you can actually pick up in those conditions.
2: Oh, exactly. And the difference between sort of night and day as well. You can have, you know, a really hot day where you're sort of, yeah, really struggling. Then um, it can, the temp- can, temperature can just plummet during the night. It's, yeah, it can be quite a eye opening experience for young people that haven't sort of experienced that before. Mm. Yeah.
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, I'm not overly familiar with that part of Australia. Um, I've, I've got a, a picture in my mind. But, but paint a bit of a visual picture about what the landscape's like, uh, the vegetation and the animal life.
2: Yeah. Um, so it's, it's rocky. It's really rocky. Um, it's really – terrain-wise, it's not overly mountainous. I guess there are sort of – range. the range that runs through that area is, is obviously pretty steep um and there are parts of that on the property we've got it's a fairly big property so we've got that sort of the mountainous range area we've got some pretty large creeks that run through the property as well um and then everything in between so you you can have days where you're walking just on flat ground um without any trees or anything around you then you have other days where you're sort of meandering down creek lines um you know under red guns and that sort of stuff um, so yeah, they're pretty. It's pretty not pretty nice to be able to experience all the different um, environments out there. Um, but yeah, vegetation wise, it, it's it really uh, there's a whole variety. Um, so like I said, you've got all the red gums through the creeks. There's um, stands of mallee out there as well. Um, but yeah, it's it, and then parts of it are pretty sparse as well. Um, it's very dry, or it has been very dry for the last few years. I think they've had a fair bit of rain over the last few weeks, which is Pretty nice to hear. Desperately really needs it. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, animal life-wise, there's, there's a good range. Actually, you'll see emus, kangaroos, um, and yeah, obviously a whole host of lizards. Um, and yeah, if you're you're lucky or unlucky enough, you'll see a few snakes as well.
0: Yep. What's what's the common snake in that area?
2: Uh, I'd say it's a, sort of a, a brown snake. I'm, yeah, I'm not too sure on the exact um, sort of species that's out there, but yeah, it's. Um, yeah, probably yeah, a few different species that are living in that area.
0: Okay. Yeah, no, I, I must admit, I've got a bit of a vested interest in that. I'm, um, at some stage over the next sort of 12 to 18 months, I'm looking at doing the Heisen Trail, uh, which uh, is That's sort it. of, yeah. I mean, goes through exactly the same area, but it's, it's, it's close by at least anyway.
2: Yeah, yeah, it gets pretty close. We actually, one of our volunteers um, did, he ran the Heisen Trail and then continued on. Um, to, to
0: our property. So, yeah, that's, um, yeah, it does get pretty close, yeah. Okay, so, um, I mean, you know, given you're dealing with, uh, by the sound of it, roughly about 500 students over the, the duration of a year, um, I'm sure there's probably some some really amazing outcomes and amazing stories and also some very funny stories that come out of the programs. So what's perhaps one of each that you can mention to us?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um I always think for me, I mean, I've had so many, like every team is is pretty special and um, has a lot of special moments in it. I'll always remember um, one participant I worked with, um, mostly because of the fact that just the training that I'd had really clicked in. Um, So we're basically, so I'll go back to the training. We we do a little bit of field training, with a, a couple of really experienced team leaders and they sort of role play and, and talk about ways that you can work through different situations. Um, and one sort of situation they threw up was someone just sitting down throwing rocks and not talking to you, um, which as a, you know, I didn't have any experience working with young people or social work or anything like that, so I had no idea how to handle it. Um, but, yeah, came across the exact situation um, later on in one of my walks. Yeah, I had a young young girl that um I, I'd asked her to, I think it was just basically setting up her hoochie. Her I asked her to set up the hutsche. um And, yeah, she stormed off, was, yeah, really upset and was, oh, okay, what's going on here? Um, and, yeah, went off and, and sat down and was just throwing rocks. Um, so, yeah, the training kicked in. I went over. And then, yeah, basically what I got told was to just sit down next to them um, and just throw rocks with them, ask what they're aiming at, that sort of thing. Um and just sort of, I guess, yeah, make it a really non-threatening situation. And it was amazing. She just opened right up, um, told me, yeah, everything that was going on, what her concerns were, um, insecurities, that sort of stuff. Um and yeah, it was really, yeah, a pretty special moment for me. It really, yeah, um, I guess proved to me why I was doing what I was doing, why I was giving up my time to be out there. Yeah.
0: What about what about a a funny story?
2: Yeah, it's a tough one. There's I guess one sort of funny anecdote that goes around is one of our yeah, really sort of um, experienced team leaders back in the, the olden days um, when it was, yeah, sort of, uh, yeah, I guess a bit of a, a ramshackle affair just about. Um, anyway, he would, on the first day when the participants turned up, um, he actually greeted them wearing a, a full suit and carrying a briefcase. Um instead of, you know, the usual hiking gear and backpack and that sort of stuff. Um, which I just love the the imagery of all the the young people getting off and seeing this guy in a suit with a briefcase, you know, ready to take them on a walk through the Flinders Ranges. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he that, that guy is a bit of a character. He's he's quite a funny, funny guy. And yeah, it's I love just love picturing that.
0: <laughs> how can people help Operation Flinders? How can how can they support them?
2: Yeah, um, there's a few few options I guess. I mean Obviously, being a not-for-profit, we rely hugely on on the kindness of, of others in you know as far as monetary donations, um, and yeah, so we always appreciate um, people donating money towards the cause. Um, and then, obviously, yeah, volunteering as well. We rely almost you know there's maybe eight to ten um, paid staff, and then the rest runs purely on on volunteer. Um, Sort of workforce. So, yeah, it's hugely, hugely important that um, we have a really strong volunteer base. Um, so, yeah, at the moment, we're we're sort of not recruiting, I guess, for, for the volunteers. We're sort of looking to open that up again um, for sort of 2021, uh, 2022, sorry. Um, so, yeah, middle of this year, we'll start um, looking for more volunteers to, to help out and either be involved in the warehouse and, and helping a lot of the logistical support. Um, or obviously, yeah, if people want to, um, you know, take the plunge and, and come out filled with the young people, yeah, always open for that as well.
0: And when, when you talk about volunteers, so, so you, you mentioned before that you used to be a volunteer before you uh, became a paid staff member. So in, in 12, 15 months' time when you open that back up again, um, what do you, what's the general process for someone to become a volunteer? They, they start off being an assistant or how do you work that?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, So obviously there's there's a bit of a a recruitment process we have to go through. Um, People are working with obviously pretty vulnerable young people, so we have to make sure they're the right fit, um, that they've got the right skills and all that sort of stuff. Um, Mostly we're just looking for people that can um, learn and are able to deal with the different situations that are going to come up. Um, And then we provide a whole heap of training, um, especially around the you know, the outdoor skills will do a lot, put a lot of work into training people and all of that, but also in in how to work with the young people in a, in a constructive and healthy way. Um, so yeah, they'll come, they'll assuming they get through the interview and we think they're, um, a good fit, they'll do the training. Um, and then, yeah, the first, generally the first sort of three, um, exercises that someone does, they'll do it as an assistant team leader. Um, so they'll sort of understudy the team leader, um, Learn different ways to do things. Every team leader does things differently, so there's yeah, something to learn from everyone basically. Um, and then yeah, after that, if if they still want to, if they want to take the plunge um, and go even further, they can yeah, step up and, and be a team leader and um, yeah, take over a team and yeah.
0: Okay, that sounds good. So is anything anything else you'd like to say before we, we finish off?
2: No, it's it's uh, it's been great to talk to you. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it.
0: Okay. So we've been talking to Brendan uh, from Operation Flinders about the wonderful programs that they run uh, to help at-risk youth. Brendan, thank you for your time.
2: Norris, no Thanks for having me.
0: Operation Flinders is one of those unique organisations that takes the activity of hiking uh, and helps give back to the community, particularly in relation to youth at risk. Uh, and certainly, Brendan went through and gave you a good overview of the organisation itself and the services they have on offer. I must admit, I I was aware of Operation Flinders, and I have been uh, uh, have talked to people in the past about this uh, as a small component of our Women and Hiking podcast. I really thought that it'd be worthwhile having this chat to Brendan, uh, as someone who works for Operation Flinders, to get a bit more detail.
1: Yeah, we have um, a couple of friends, um, Amanda and Paul, shout out to both of you who have been long-time uh, supporters and volunteers uh, with Operation Flinders. So we d- we did have a little bit of a sense of uh, what it was about and, it, you know, when I was listening to Brendan, um, you, you really are in awe of people who uh, volunteer their time uh, to show um others in this case young people um a a different understanding of themselves a different way of um operating a different way of engaging with others so you know really is quite inspiring and yeah you you, got to admire uh, people like brendan paul and amanda who do this
0: yeah I, i i must admit i um um, this is not an area that I'm overly familiar with from a hiking perspective. I hope to change that in the next year or so. Uh, but it's I do love the desert environment, um, and certainly we covered with Brendan a number of things, including the the landscape of the Flinders Ranges in South Australia, uh, and that's one of the 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 iconic areas from an Australian hiking perspective. Uh, being part of the Heysen Trail, which is one of Australia's long-distance hiking trails. Um, I do love the desert environments, uh, and as Brendan was saying through here, the temperatures can get quite hot. They can approach <laughs> 40 degrees during the hottest time of the year. Uh, quite
1: hot is a bit of an understatement, yeah, I reckon. Um,
0: but, you know, certainly you're starting to look around about the July period, and it's, it's, it's much cooler, uh, and the nighttime temperatures are sort of around about that three-degree mark. So, you know, you... You need to be. You need to be kitted out, I suppose, for the hot temperatures as well as the cool temperatures.
1: Yeah, I, I just think you know, nineteen ninety one, a, a, a woman um, de- deciding that there is an opportunity here to um, support others, and you know, thirty years later, here we are, and um, still going strong, and um, the impact that they must have had on countless of. Um, young people's lives is just amazing yeah uh,
0: and i i, I thought I, I sort of had to do a bit of a double take when we're talking about food and brenda was talking about canned food performs uh, or provides a lot of the sustenance for the people and i'm thinking oh that's a, that's going to be a hard and heavy pack uh but that, <laughs> but, but as he mentioned there you that know, the the, uh, the food is there at the end of the day um, you've got uh, central coordinators who go through and top up the camps so they're not having to carry tins of, of uh, oh, seven or eight days worth of tinned food with them from camp to camp.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, I guess, you know, if you've got some young people who've never been out bush before, um, they they're carrying their clothing, they're carrying their water for the day, they're carrying their... Lunch and and snacks for the day, and their pho-
0: in, and their phones,
1: and their phones, yeah. and uh, in forty degree heat. Um, that you know, that's that's a pretty heavy going just on the phones. I just I thought his response to it was just perfect. I thought, don't battle that one because it's not going to work anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: just thought that was great. <laughs> yeah, and after two days, the batteries are all flat. So
1: <laughs> well, if, if you could get a signal, which you can't, the battery will be flat. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, it was interesting to hear about, you know, the the, the, the daily routine, uh, getting people to be responsible for, for meals. Um, and I think in a lot of cases, I mean, this is, you know, Operation Flinders deals with at-risk youth. But when you think about um, teenagers in general, um, if you haven't come from a hiking family uh, and this is all new to you, it's a, it's a bit of a culture shock. So it's a, it's a good easing in, I suppose, uh, of people into an outdoor environment and to give them skills that they may not develop as a normal part of their day-to-day life.
1: Yeah, and, you and you know, in a way you're probably throwing them in the deep end. I mean, most of us um, develop our hiking exposure, our hiking skill over a reasonably longer period of time. Um, if, you know, you're, you're turning up for Operation Flinders with your hairdryer... <laughs> Wondering if you can plug it into a tree. I did like that bit too. Um, you, you know, this is a big difference and a big change uh, in their normal day to day life.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now the other thing that Brendan mentioned was that um, you know they do rely a lot on volunteers. Uh, and while he mentioned that the the volunteer situation is fine at the moment, yeah, you know, they they will at some point put out a call for volunteers again. Uh, and certainly this is where our friends, Paul and Amanda, uh, do help out in that sort of capacity. So, you know, being a team leader uh, or being an assistant team leader where you go along and learn the ropes over uh, three uh, three trips and, and then eventually if, if that, that's what you want is to take over and run the uh, the actual trips themselves. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that, that have the time and the ability uh, to help out with this, uh, providing you can get on with uh, with kids um yeah it's uh, well i think
1: there's there's sort of enough training there to help you understand um the, the one thing i thought was just fantastic was that in you know 2020 in a covid year they they normally he's i think he said run five programs and they ran four yeah. i just thought that was you know great effort and kudos to them
0: yeah yeah uh so you know if you if you think this is you know you have the time and this might be something that you're interested in uh even though they're not necessarily taking people right now uh it'd be worthwhile just making contact and 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 put, having your name put down even for for next year or the year after if that's what you're interested in the other thing that Brendan mentioned as well is they, you know, this is not a, an organisation that's a profit-making organisation. The, the funding goes back into running this, this series of programs. So, again, I'm sure any donations would be greatly appreciated. Um, and they do actually run um, events to, to fundraise. Um, but, you know, if you, if you don't necessarily want to be in those and just feel like I'm, I'm making a donation, I'm sure they'd greatly appreciate it. Okay, we hope you've found this interesting. And as we said, if you've got the time and feel like participating or potentially participating, uh, drop them a line. Uh, If you go to the show notes, we'll have all the contact details for Operation Flinders, including their website, uh, so you can find out a bit more information uh, and see what you can do to help out. Okay, that's all for me. Bye for now.
1: And bye from me.